0: Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen, and hosting with me today is the one and only Kelsey Fuller. Kelsey, it is great to have you back on today.
1: Hi, Virginia. Thanks for having me back. I am excited to be joining you guys again.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's now officially the Christmas season. And one of the things that I think I love most about this time of year is just like the calm that kind of comes over the world. I put up my Christmas tree on Sunday. And I always feel like when you do that, there's just like certainly like more peace in your house. (laughs) But I'm also one of those people that like just loves like right after Thanksgiving, put up all the Christmas decorations, get everything ready to go. And I'm so appreciated that this year, I feel like people are putting up Christmas decor really early. I assume that's because you know, people are home, they're working from home because of COVID. We all want a little cheer. Kelsey, have you put up your decor yet?
1: Virginia, have to say, I am very jealous that you have a Christmas tree <laughs> and all your decorations up. So, my family is actually in the middle of a move. We sold that's our house right. in DC and we are moving into a new one in Virginia this January. So we are temporarily posting up with (laughs) my parents in Florida. And as a family, we've actually never celebrated Christmas in Florida. So we have no Christmas decor here. And actually not even my uh, whole family here is here. It's just my husband, my daughter and uh, my dad, the rest of My family is up in Connecticut with COVID and travel restrictions. You know, we're uh, experiencing, you know, kind of this bummed out holiday season like a lot of Americans are where you can't gather together as a big group as we normally would do. So, you know, of course, with my dad down here, we have no Christmas decorations. I'm tempted (laughs) to go out and at least buy a Christmas tree, but pending the COVID situation, hoping it's going to calm down. We're actually planning to go visit my husband's family in Iowa and they will have no shortage of Christmas decor there. So I'm just trying to be patient.
0: Yeah. Oh man. It's a hectic season in Kelsey to be moving around this time of year, but I am super excited for you guys. It's I know you're excited to be getting into a new place and it's yeah, I'll tell you things. next
1: year, my house will be decked out with Christmas decor, <laughs> so basically at Thanksgiving. So we'll be right there with you, COVID or no COVID.
0: You'll be ready to go. Well, a little Christmas at the beach hack. My, my family has actually done it a couple of times in recent years and we started um i guess you could call it a tradition we did it a couple of years in a row but we would just sort of walk out into the woods and find some scrubby little tree and then we would put it in a bucket of sand in the living room and put some lights on it and you know it was kind of a cute little charlie Brown tree so if all else very failed, cute (laughs) you could always do that
1: might go out and hunt for one this weekend
0: i'm just a little
1: nervous about scarlet and having sand Mm. in um,
0: okay yeah reach (laughs) probably not a good idea for a baby
1: Virginia, I at least got her Christmas pajamas, so I have that hey. going for us. There
0: you go. I mean, that's really all the Christmas decorations you need, is a baby in <laughs> <his>
1: pajamas. Exactly.
0: <laughs> oh, too good. Well, up on today's Problematic Women, I talk with longtime political activist Joanne Herring about her diplomatic and charitable work in Afghanistan and how she helped to break the back of the Soviet Union in the Middle East. Plus, we break down what you need to know about former Vice President Joe Biden's female press team and what the media missed about President Trump's powerful female leadership team. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week.
1: Yes, we've got a great show this week, and uh, like we do every week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those of us whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left.
0: So if you are a problematic woman or maybe just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encourage others to subscribe. It really makes a huge difference.
1: All right, Virginia, let's get to it.
0: I am so honored to welcome to the show Joanne Herring, the founder of Marshall Plan Charities' a longtime political activist, philanthropist, and inductee to the Texas Women's Hall of Fame, and a woman who can receive a great deal of credit for helping to break the back of the Soviet Union. Ms. Herring, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you,
2: Virginia. I am privileged to be here. (laughs) Nothing is really as important in the United States today as the Heritage Foundation, mm-hmm. it's the think tank that can save America. Um, and we are, I think, in danger.
0: Oh, thank you. That is kind of you to say high praise coming from you. And you're so right. This is a critical time in our nation where, uh, as you have done your entire life, we all have to be standing up and fighting for freedom. And Miss Herring, I am just truly inspired by your story, by the life you have lived. You worked for years in Afghanistan, and during the Cold War, you played a really critical role in helping the Afghans defeat the Soviet Union. The situation on the ground was that the Soviets were violently attacking the Afghan people. They were bombing their villages, killing their women and children. So after you'd been working over there for some time, you realized that in order uh, for the Afghans to actually fight against the Soviet Union and defeat them, uh, that you were going to need funding from Congress. And you also saw that there was was a larger picture going on here. The Soviet Union had a bigger... Bigger plan that would ultimately affect America. And it was really, really critical uh, that the Soviet Union not gain access to Afghanistan uh, and to large. Portions of the Middle East. So you recruited Texas Representative Charlie Wilson to get involved, to get the funding that was needed in order to support the Afghans in their fight against the Soviets. And it was absolutely incredible what you all were able to accomplish. So can you just tell us a little bit about why you chose to get involved in the fight to defeat the Soviets in the Middle East?
2: I went into Afghanistan in 79 when there was not anybody in there but us, the Soviets, and the the Mujahideen, which were the Afghans fighting for their survival. And that is when I realized that their aim was not Afghanistan or Pakistan, but the Strait of Hormuz. President Carter was calling it a tribal war. It was and the Soviets were landing tanks every forty eight minutes. And I, for some strange reason, was the only person that looked at a map. I thought, why do the Soviets want Afghanistan? Why are they invading this little country that doesn't have a blade of grass that's ninety degrees in the summer and at below thirty in the winter? What are they doing here? And then I saw Pakistan, and I said, oh, and they're going to invade Pakistan. Why? Because from Pakistan, you could control the Strait of Hormuz. Mm. Through the Strait of Hormuz, every day, 80 million barrels of oil passed. The United States was not energy independent. So I said, oh, my goodness, it's not our air conditioners and cars that are threatened, but our factories, our wow. jobs, our, our defenses, our airplanes, our boats, we don't have the means of keeping them working until we have enough petroleum to make them work. This is the economy of the United States. That they are aiming for. We have got to save the straight of our moves. Thanks to Trump, we're now energy independent. But we were not then. Mm-hmm. And this was a great threat. So when I took this to Charlie and the other people in the United States who had told me Afghanistan was not important and Reagan. See, this got to Reagan, too. And he understood it. He understood it quickly. And that's why Charlie, uh, with the Republicans voting solidly behind him, were able to get the money for helping Afghanistan. And it started out with very little money. Mm -hmm. And we had to do all kinds of machinations to get the armaments for them because it couldn't be marked Made in USA. And this was very difficult, but we managed to get it through my connections in Egypt and Saudi Arabia and Charlie's connections in Israel. And this all came together, and under the radar, we were starting to help the Afghans fight the war. And they did, and we did it without one single American. Not one American soldier was involved in that war, and we won it. And it was the hind legs of the Soviet Union, because it's the first time that Soviet soldiers were actually involved in the fighting. All over the world, where the Soviet Union in Vietnam and in uh, Cuba and, and in Nicaragua, all the places that were threatened, they raised their own troops finance them, armed them, but they didn't carry the Russian name. But this time, the Russian soldiers themselves were there, and the word was going home, and the body bags were going home. And this made a big difference in the Soviet Union itself, and it had a lot to do with the end of the Cold War. So that is what that was all about. Then what happened after that, the United States, after asking this tiny little poor country with nothing to fight to the death for our beliefs and the things we wanted as well as theirs, we walked out. We left them a ruined, ruined country. We didn't give them a school, as Charlie said in the movie. We couldn't even give them a school.
0: That's when a light bulb then went off in your head of saying, I can do something to help these people on the ground in a practical way.
2: Well, I more or less said, what can I do? Because you see, I didn't think it was right to take everything they had and then not help them at all. Mm -hmm. Because they had
0: just just fought this massive massive war defeated the soviets but they were afghanistan was now a, they were a war-torn nation so many lives had been lost people had lost limbs been terribly injured uh, and now you know they were sitting as a nation just struggling to survive parents struggling to feed their children people didn't have jobs um, and so you kind of determined that there were five key elements needed no no no, darling
2: I, it was I would love to take credit for all of that <laughs>
0: what I did
2: I said what in the world can we do for this yeah. country yeah. and then I thought well what do they need that and I thought they need food they yeah. need water they need everything but what they need is so basic it's just you can't then they need schools, and schools are so important. But if you are sick with dysentery, which has killed more soldiers and armies over the world than anything, you can't learn. Mm-hmm. And if you're hungry and you don't have any food, you can't work. Yeah. So, how are these people going to survive? How can a school help them when they are really not in the condition? to take advantage of it. So we, they need a little medical care, not big things, but shots, mosquito nets, a midwife. It has the highest death rate among mothers in the world, mm. in a country that's war ravaged, and the average child, person is under 14 years old. And they need their children. And the Afghans are wonderful parents. They try so hard and they do everything and they're willing to work like dogs for anything and give their life. So I said, okay, how can I get them food, water, health care, moderate, moderate mm-hmm. edu- education? And the most important thing in the world, in any charity, and I had headed every one of them in the United States, is tomorrow. You can give them a wonderful meal today, but Mm -hmm. how about tomorrow? Mm -hmm. You can't feed them forever. So we have to teach them to feed themselves, help them to learn. They didn't have, most of them couldn't read and write, 80% of the Afghans couldn't read and write. Wow. So they had to follow the head man into everything. So this is what, when you start a village in, in some parts of this sort of country, you're really starting with very modest things because they are not able to move any faster than they can learn. And they were brilliant. There's nothing wrong with their minds. It was the opportunities they had never, ever had. So anyway, what I said to them was, look, let's do one village. Find me the strongest, most honest head man that you know in Afghanistan. And I did this with colonels. By this time, America was involved in Afghanistan. And the colonels read my story and what I had done you know, in freeing Afghanistan. And I say that with quotation marks because they were barely free. And they said, oh, my goodness, we are the guys that go out and fight. We we don't plan the battles. We actually participate in them. And they loved the Afghans. And they they said, I know you'll never answer this letter, but if you will, we'd like to help you. If you want to do a village, if you want to try to help the Afghans rehabilitate themselves and be a country they can take care of themselves, we want to help. And they were wonderful. And so I said, I wrote them back and I said, okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. So they found me the village. because and th- this was about 10 or 15 years ago, correct? Right. <laughs> and but this and since then, okay, what happened? But you see, you have to understand that this is what we're facing around the world today. It's not just a matter of throwing stuff at them. They have to learn how to use the stuff. America is so far advanced that we send in for help, medical help, an MRI. In six months, because nobody knows how to use it, nobody knows how to repair it, it becomes a doorstop. When Mm -hmm. what they need is bandages and penicillin and anything that will help stop the infections that they get and and the malaria and that they have polio, all, all those things, and the TB, which can be helped. They they are shots for all of these things, but they didn't have access to them. So this is what we started doing, giving them access. Well, we we couldn't get anybody to support our program, which was food, water, health care, education, and jobs. Nobody would do it. They said, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, but it's never been done. And we're just not willing to put money into it. And I mean, I went to the highest in the land. I went to all the senators. I talked to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. All of them tried to help me. I went to USAID. I had lunch with Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State. I I went to anybody who was Republican, Democrat, whatever, to get help for Afghanistan. We couldn't get it. So I said, okay, we're going to do it in Houston, Texas. So we did, and we did a program about royal weddings with the Crown Prince of France. <laughs> <Can
1: you imagine? laughs> and we and that was your fundraiser.
2: Yeah, but we took, and my, my point is, we, we took whatever we could get. Yeah. We raised $450,000. Wow. So we said, okay, again, the colonel and I went went back to that, they went back to Afghanistan. I was just working to get all this stuff organized over there. And so um we just found the great headman, this is vice Lamont who wrote the wonderful letter. And he he said, yes, we can we can do it, we can do it. But what I, the key issue there was that everything that was done they did. They made the decisions. They voted on everything. This was their village. We didn't mingle and match with their religion or any of the things that they cherished or felt were important. We wanted to help them revive their country and revive their life so they could move on and have a place in the world and a safe place to live and stop the Soviet Union, which was back and, and all the, and of course, the Chinese were right next door. This was a great threat to them, too. So, anyway, this was just on a tiny little place to try to find a way to help the Afghans help themselves. You know, the old famous saying, give a man a fish and he'll not be hungry to the next meal, teach him how to fish, and he'll never be hungry again. Yeah. So that's what we did. But we, when it came down to what they could make, we said, look, we can build it with our little $450,000, which was half the price of keeping one American soldier in the field one year. We were able to build, with Faisal Ahmad's help, of course, the school, the clinic, the trade center, which is where they learned to craft things because they really didn't know how to make anything. And the water, we, we got them clean water. And you know what the clean water was? Simply two hand pumps
0: wow.
2: in a clean well. People had, had been walking four miles for mm. water. This way, with the little hand pumps in the village, they could walk to the center of the village and get the water. So, With the clean water, we planted soybeans, and that gave them the protein they needed in order to be healthy enough to go to school or to work or to do anything, and it gave them soybeans and goats. What the goats ate, I'll never understand, because the (sighs) landscape was absolutely barren. Everything during the war had been eaten or destroyed or used for fire, and the fire wasn't to warm anybody in uh, in 30 below zero weather, but to just cook their food. So anyway, we said, okay, what do you want to make that you can sell right here, meaning that you can resell? When they break they'll need another one, so they but the, I had the town council do the voting, so they went back and they voted, and they said they wanted to they wanted sewing machines because the women could then make uniforms, then they wanted um the goats <laughs> they hope that then they have milk you see for the babies because the children were totally totally malnourished and they they wanted to repair bicycles nobody had a car for heaven's sakes and they take a bicycle that you wouldn't give to the Salvation Army and we know the Salvation Army isn't picky they'll take anything to help people learn how to fixed bicycles, so they too, you know can even in America, can become self-support. OK. they were able to take those bicycles that were so horrible that you couldn't imagine they could ever be used again, and they looked like a new swim when they came back. Wow, They knew how to do these things, but they didn't have the materials, they didn't have the money, they didn't have the teachers, but we provided all those things for one year.
0: Well, you gave them those practical tools so that they could take ownership of their community and build a really strong community. So this was about a decade ago. How is the village today? You see, this is what's really important. This is
2: in the middle of a war. We lost contact with them for 10 years because nobody would go in there. It was so dangerous. So we said we had said, look, it's all yours because you, you can either sink or swim because we don't have any money to give you, but we'd care about you and we'll try to keep in touch, which we could not do. But ten years later, we got through. And Faisal Ahmad said to us, we said, how are you? He said, we're flourishing. (laughs) And this is so very Afghan. He said, we've run out of uh, medicine and we've run out of medical equipment. And we don't have any more tablets or pencils or anything for the school. But we're fine. You see how wonderful their spirit was. They were so grateful for the smallest things. So anyway, I said, oh, golly then we've got to help you. And I tried and tried to get the village replicated, but nobody cared about Afghanistan anymore, even though nine eleven was trained in Afghanistan because we walked out and left them. And all the training of the people that actually blew up our building happened in Afghanistan. But after that, we went in, and the Afghans helped us clean up the Taliban, but it wasn't just the Taliban. There are about 200 different terrorist organizations. Everybody wants power and money. That's the source of every war. And how do you get power and money? Well, you take it yeah. <laughs> from the weak. And so that's what they did. But the village survived.
1: Incredible.
2: Um, I told George Clooney about this, and he said, You know, this could be done anywhere. It's simply taking this, t- these things food, water, healthcare, education, and jobs, which are not that expensive, and giving them to the people and helping them t- defend and fend you know, for themselves. He said, You know, I don't work in Afghanistan, but I work in Africa. I'd like to do it in Africa. Wow. And I said, "Okay, let's do it in Africa." So this is when I got the idea that we could do it in South America. And instead of, you see, it's costing the United States and this is online so you can check it. They're 14 billion 200 million a year mm-hmm. for the illegals that come into our country and they are not prepared to live in america for the most part they don't speak the language they have not been trained to do the jobs that are available and they have a very difficult time some of them have been absolutely tremendously successful and i'm so grateful for them but we can't take unlimited immigrants from the rest of South America. Look at just what happened that Hurricane in Nicaragua. You think we're not going to have a march from Nicaragua? Because those people don't have anything, and they don't have any money. And I've just lived through Harvey in Houston, and I saw what it did to us. And we're mm-hmm. a country and a rich city. Mm-hmm. but. It is, and so I magnified in my mind how much worse it would be down there. So I thought about George Clooney, and I said, "Why not help them where they are? Yeah. They speak the language. They're with their family. Help them with rebuilding their their little villages at the village level. Stop sending money to corrupt governments." The people at the head of these governments send all the money to Switzerland. I have seen it. I have known the pilots that flew the money, our money, our tax money. And it's going because of some corrupt official that gets changed every two or three years. Help the people who want to be free, the good people who would make good citizens anywhere, but why not in their own country? So my dream is help them where they are. Mm. And that is go down there, give them food, water, health care, education, and jobs. So And jobs, that's the main thing. If they don't know how to make something, that can be sold in the United States or somewhere else or even in their own country, they can't survive because they can't support a school or teacher or a, a doctor or a midwife. You see, with American ingenuity, and, and I've talked to many American CEOs, I said, look, if they are willing to learn would you be willing to provide this, the equipment and the things they need to learn on and a teacher and then give them a job once they have learned how to do this? I wanted them to do it in high school, for, which is free to do these sorts of things so that you can train our own kids that yeah. aren't doing that well.
0: Because it's a great so job practical. is for
2: lecture in art.
0: Yeah, practical things. It's just amazing how out of this one little... Afghan village, this beautiful model has come about that is, is so practical and can so practically be implemented in, in other nations. And uh, in 2009, you founded Marshall Plan Charities. And I encourage all of our listeners to check out the website. We'll link it in the show, night, in, in the show notes because this is just, uh, it's so incredible to see what can be done when, when you do go into a community and like you say, you teach people how to fish it's just it's beautiful it brings lasting change and uh, miss herring thank you your work is amazing and i'm so inspired by you and the fact that you don't stop you just are you're continuing you keep going uh i love that you don't take no for an answer you have this beautiful vision for how you can really transform impoverished areas all over the world well, Virginia, thank you for that. But thank you also,
2: and truly, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, for your understanding. You don't know how many doors I've knocked on, how many times I have explained to people who get this glazed look on their face, because they don't want to be involved. Mm-hmm. They don't want to do anything, and they don't see beyond their own doors, but you do. And, and you really have the ability to see to the core of things and where it begins and where it's important. And so with people like you, young people, this is going to pass to you. And I feel wonderful thinking that it's in your hands. <laughs> God bless you and the Heritage Foundation, which I have supported from the very beginning and of which I believe in as the great think tank of the world.
0: Thank you, Ms. Harry, We so appreciate your time. It is an honor to have you on the show. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away because when we come back, Kelsey and I are breaking down the hypocrisy of the liberal media as they praise former Vice President Joe Biden for planning to appoint an all-female press team, but ignored four years of female leaders in top White House positions under President Trump. But before we dive into that discussion, I want to tell you all where you can find The Daily Signal's latest videos and documentaries, and that would be YouTube, of course. The Daily Signal YouTube page offers short videos that break down policy issues and some long-form documentaries. So if you're not driving, pull out your cell phone and subscribe to The Daily Signal YouTube page. The presidential election is still being contested, but former Vice President Joe Biden has already begun to name a number of individuals who will serve in top White House positions, and many of those top picks are women, especially when it comes to his press team. So Kelsey, I know that you know this, but on Sunday, the Washington Post wrote a story Uh, about this fact. And one of the quotes in that story I want to read, it's really important. They wrote, Jennifer Psaki, a veteran Democratic spokeswoman, will be Biden's White House press secretary, one of seven women who will fill the upper ranks of his administration's communication staff. This is the key part. It is the first time all of the top aides tasked with speaking on behalf of an administration and shaping its message will be female. Well, there's just one problem with this, and that's that Biden is not the first. After the Post published their story, the White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany tweeted, President at Real Donald Trump already has an all-female senior White House press team. So does at VP, so does at FLOTUS, so does at Second Lady. So Kelsey, <laughs> you wrote this fantastic piece for the Hill discussing this, discussing the hypocrisy of the far left media. I, I think my first thought was, okay, are they are they just so blind to the Trump administration that they genuinely didn't realize somehow that the president already had an all female senior communications team, or did they just blatantly choose to ignore the facts?
1: I think there's two things going on here. That's one of them, that the the, the press will never credit President Trump for any of the so-called firsts that the left and the media love to celebrate when it comes to uh, gender or diversity quotas, which we know conservatives do not emphasize. We don't necessarily need the glowing profiles about the all-female senior press team that President Trump has had now for quite a bit of time. Uh, But I think the Media can at least acknowledge the basic facts that, yes, uh, the current White House uh, senior press team is led by women. Anybody who has a TV can see this. Uh, you know, you see Kaylee McNeigh or Alyssa Farah. Uh, representing the president. uh, And, and, you know, that says a lot that President Trump has entrusted women for the most part uh, to deliver his message to the American people. Before that, we know we had Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Hope Hicks was very important to his communications team and Mercedes Schlapp. So this isn't a new phenomenon of President Trump empowering and entrusting women to deliver his message to the American people. But apparently for the reporters whose job it is to actually interact with uh, these communication staffers, this is, a, this is brand new to them. But the second thing that's going on, uh, besides the obvious double standard and the lack of fact-checking uh, that the media did here, is something we're going to see Uh, if indeed uh, we do have a President Joe Biden. And that is the media just taking Democrat talking points and running with them without doing the most basic fact checks. So it appears that this whole story originated uh, from the Biden uh, team. They, They are kind of obsessed with fulfilling these gender and diversity quotas, which is a whole nother issue we should talk about. Um, But they love these glowing news stories about these so-called, you know, first, the first all-female senior press team. And so uh, it, it appears the Biden team sent this talking point to the media and they just ran with it without doing their job and looking at the facts and looking at Who makes up the current uh, Trump White House senior press team right now? And I I do want to make one sort of clarification here, uh, which really gives uh, the media who has run with this claim, uh, you know, their only sort of defense uh, for you know, their claim, which I, it's not true, but uh, it it really depends on whether you count deputy uh, communications and press officials as senior uh, parts on the communications team. Uh, The issue here is that the media is trying to compare apples to oranges. So President Trump has a different structure in his uh, press shop than uh, the would-be Biden administration appears to be Uh, building right now. Uh, Currently, uh, Kaylee and Alyssa, who are the top two communications officials in the White House right now, have two deputies under them. Um, We also know that the uh, first lady has a uh, Stephanie Grisham as her chief of staff and and chief spokeswoman. We know uh, Katie Miller serves as communications director for Vice President Mike Pence, and Kara Brooks serves as communications director for Karen Pence, our second lady. And the incoming Biden team, they have one deputy each, like, you know, it'd be like Alyssa Farah having one deputy instead of two deputies. And so what the media is doing is counting uh, Alyssa and Kaylee's two deputies as senior press officials. And It's interesting that later on in a follow up story, when Kaylee started to challenge the narrative uh, that the media was running with, they acknowledged that, yeah, it's reasonable to debate whether or not these deputies are senior officials. Of course, when they made their original claim, they never included that nuance. Uh, Now they did. And furthermore, uh, and really the reason why I can confidently tell you that, yes, the senior White House press team under President Trump is all female is because one of those deputies came out publicly on Twitter and disputed the claim that the media is making that President Trump doesn't have an all-senior female White House staff. So he is saying, hey, no, I'm not part of that senior team. Our senior team is all women. I report to women uh, and I don't count in that. So I think it's fair to take his word for that um, and and uh, really, you know, I guess try to set the record straight here because, again, while conservatives don't necessarily uh, need these glowing profiles that we know uh, Democrats will get, certainly uh, they deserve credit, and, and the American people deserve to know the basic facts about what the White House press team, uh, what its current makeup looks like compared to what it could look like if we have a President Biden.
0: Yeah, Kelsey, you summarized that so well. I think that that, I feel like, is the key issue that I took with it is, okay, great, you know, for the left, if they want to celebrate the fact that, you know, Biden is implementing this all-female press team, if he does become president, totally fine, but don't ignore the facts and don't Pretend and essentially lie to the American people, and just completely ignore all uh, <laughs> all the things that Trump has done to really uh, make sure that he is drawing on on the wisdom and advice from from powerful female leaders, and um, and just you know ignoring the fact that President Trump has put so many of these amazing female leaders in these key White House positions, and specifically. On his press team. Uh, but Kelsey, I do want to ask you a little bit about who these women are who are coming in uh, potentially on, on Biden's press team. So we know uh, that Jennifer Pisaki, that she will be uh, his press secretary if he does become president. She served uh, in a number of roles in the Obama White House. We know that she's worked as a contributor for CNN. What do you think we should expect from her?
1: across the board, this is looking like the Obama administration round two. We have sort of a revolving door between the Democrat establishment, uh, which I have to point out includes CNN, because a lot of the individuals who are getting these high-ranking roles within the would-be Biden administration happen to be paid contributors to CNN. I believe uh, Jen is one of them. Uh, She served uh, as the um, spokeswoman for the State Department under the Obama administration at one point. And you have to remember, you know, this scandal-free Obama administration happened to have overseen, uh, uh, you know, Russia's um, intervention into Crimea. And she was out there at the time acting like this wasn't a big deal. Of course, this was a huge deal to see Russia flexing its muscles like that. Daily Signal has been on the forefront of covering that conflict. Um, And and now you see her heading over to head the entire White House uh, communications staff. And again, it's going to be more of the same. And I think this is going to mark a huge change for conservatives. Um, This is why I'm so grateful for outlets like the Daily Signal, because we cannot rely on and depend on the mainstream media anymore. I think we've known that for a long time, but this kind of silly example of the Washington Post and NPR um, and the AP running with this Democrat talking point that is completely false about Biden hiring an all senior female press staff for the first time in US history is just a perfect example of what's to come. The media is not going to do their homework. They're not going to do their basic fact checking. What they're going to do is uh, be an echo chamber for the left's talking points. And uh, they're really going to be excusing and downplaying any sort of uh, potentially bad news coming out of the Biden administration. Um, And so I think it's more important than ever that we are all reading and, and funding, if we're able to, these conservative news websites, because it's really the only way for us to get reliable news when we have a media that is so obviously motivated to write these glowing news stories about their friends.
0: Yeah, no, I, in some ways, <laughs> I guess it's a little bit, um, <laughs> I wouldn't call it a good thing at all, but I guess it's nice to early on see these red flags from the media and really understand like, oh, okay, this is how you would treat a Biden administration in the news. Uh, and I, I've seen other journalists raising this of just saying, Wow, you know they they ask Biden these very very softball questions. They're very gentle with. What him. kind of ice cream did you get? Exactly, <laughs> oh, yeah. Kamala Harris's uh, cornbread
1: dressing oh. recipe—it's oh. amazing. That's the type of news stories we have to come. <laughs> Meanwhile, they they, they just love demeaning Melania Trump and all the women who have served uh, the White House. Uh, downplaying their roles for years. This is exactly what's going to happen. And yes, exactly. It should be a wake-up call for all of us about what's to come. You're right.
0: Well, we certainly um, encourage our listeners and viewers to go out and find those strong media sources. Get your news from the Daily Signal. Kelsey over at the Independent Women's Forum, always publishing amazing pieces. Find those credible news outlets because yeah we're headed into potentially a pretty interesting uh four years of news in america all right well we are going to take a quick break but stay with us because when we come back we're going to be crowning our problematic woman of the week It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. If you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Rachel Del Judas, Kate Trinco, Rob Louie, and myself, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out The Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning. Now it is that time, once again, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And this week, the crown goes to...
1: First Lady Melania Trump.
0: (laughs) We are celebrating the First Lady today because she has once again done an incredible job decorating the White House for Christmas. This year's theme is America the Beautiful and if you haven't seen any photos you should definitely check it out because it's absolutely gorgeous and over a hundred volunteers helped to actually put up the decorations last weekend and they, <laughs> they must have had a really busy weekend because uh, the Christmas decorations this year include 62 Christmas trees, 106 wreaths, over 1,200 feet of garland, more than 3,200 lights and over 17,000 bows. That is a lot of bows. So, Kelsey, have you been before to the White House at Christmas time?
1: I actually had the honor of seeing it last year uh, when my daughter Scarlett was only a few months old. Uh, we got a tour actually from one of our former Heritage Foundation colleagues. Uh, who worked at the White House at the time. It was so special. It was so beautiful. Uh, The press always gives Melania Trump a hard time for her Christmas decor. They troll her because they think that she's trolling them, sending these secret messages through her decor. Um, And, you know, just Googling the decorations this year, you see they're at it again. The Washington Post has a headline, Melania Trump's normal Christmas decorations reveal her secret. The Guardian says, Melania Trump swaps horror for tradition with lighter approach to Christmas decor. Slate says, fame Christmas witch Melania Trump delivers her most unlikely holiday display yet. This is just a small sampling of the examples why Melania Trump is problematic no matter what she does. So the past couple years, she um, was, uh, I guess, more untraditional. She was more bold in her Christmas decor, which I think we all appreciate. I mean, Christmas decor is beautiful no matter what, even when it's just traditional as it is this year, but it was so fun to see her put her own little personal twists and statements and and just be creative um, and expressive through her decor. Uh, But they, you know, I don't know if we've, we've obviously talked about all this on the show before, but her red Christmas trees were blood trees, according yeah. to, to the media. Um, they had a problem with her, um, you know, the, the white theme the white one ones, year. Yeah. And so she's just problematic no matter what she does, even when she uh, this year chose to do a more traditional look.
0: I, I'm so impressed by her because I think if I was in her position, I would just, you know, it's hard not to take those things personally and it's hard to feel like, gosh, like, you know, I do something out of the box and creative and I get beat up for it and I do something traditional and I get beat up for it. But I feel like she has handled repeatedly just the criticism of the media with such grace, just kind of lets it roll off her back. Uh, and she really has done uh, such an amazing job every year just making the White House look so festive and beautiful, and Kelsey, I I agree. I think it's been fun to see in previous years some of those out-of-the-box kind of the box, uh, unique decorations, um, but it is, it, it's, uh, it's almost impressive and just unbelievable how the media at every turn seems to find a way to criticize such a, a classy and, and wonderful First Lady.
1: Right, and you know uh, if we have a First Lady Jill Biden We'll we'll have the opposite types of news stories. No matter what she does, we'll be perfect. There'll be no secret messages to decode in any of her decor. (laughs) Um, You know, I guess this has really been a theme of this show, the double standard of the media. But I think it's just so obvious right now when we are in the middle of a potential transition you can so clearly see the different treatment that you know a, a democrat versus a republican will get at IWF we like calling this progressive privilege um, because clearly, if you are progressive, specifically, you know, especially if you are a woman, you get glowing treatment that, you know, doesn't even compare to anything Melania Trump will have to experience. But look, this is why I love Melania Trump and really all the strong female conservatives who serve in this White House you know they'll they'll read this criticism. They see it and it makes them stronger. They brush it off. They continue doing their jobs. And for anyone who caught it uh, on Fox News the other day, in response to the media treatment of the all-female Biden press team, Dana Perino accidentally might have said a bad word on TV, <laughs> uh, but she 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 said it so well. She, she said, you know, conservatives don't get this glowing treatment. They just get Stuff done. <laughs> I might have edited the word "stuff," um, but that is absolutely true. You know, conservative women won't get this nice treatment, but they will get their stuff done.
0: Yeah, oh, I love that. That's a so great the <laughs> honesty of it. Well, I think that is uh, the perfect segue into our Twitter question for the week, which is: Why do you think much of the mainstream media? ignores the achievements of the Trump administration. So a couple options for you, their own bias or does not fit their narratives, or you can leave a comment with uh, why you think the mainstream media often ignores the good things and the incredible things that the Trump administration has and is doing. So that poll is going to be available on my Twitter page this morning. Virginia underscore Allen five. So be sure to vote. We love hearing from you guys. Okay, that is going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women.
1: Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share.
0: Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. And we always appreciate hearing from you guys. So please consider leaving a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts,